Welcome to Give Him Hell, Brigham. Jeff, it is signing day 2.0. Or actually, it's more like 1.1 because it's kind of a letdown after the December signing day. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it is signing day. Like, you're right, technically. But this sucked. And it's actually, yes, it is actually signing day ever. And today is actual signing day because December is the early signing period. So this is the official signing day, but. I don't think is was there anything on ESPN or anything today. I they they had a few. I don't think there was anything on main ESPN. I think it was on ESPN U, and I know that they uh, they they tracked some stuff on ESPN.com, but not a ton. Like most of, I, I'm trying to think in a normal year. Well, in the last few years, I guess it's only been around for a few years, but the last couple of years, it's been increasing each year but last year it was like 75 or 80 percent of players signed in the early signing period and this year with covid and no visits and the uncertainty that both schools and recruits had uh i would be willing to bet they haven't gone through and tallied numbers yet but i'd be willing to bet it it's in the 90s like everybody signed early this year and so today it's just kind of a dud of a day Right. And it's, I mean, there's a lot of it too. And even earlier is just, you don't know what's going to be there. And there's a lot of pressure, especially pre P five schools, you know, put pressure on kids being like, Hey, everyone wants to come here. I mean, well, maybe not Kansas, but the school's worth going to ever it's a, Hey, everyone wants to be here. You know, we're not going to wait around for you. Like you're either on board or we're moving on without you. And so a lot of guys, you know, that's part of why it's moving earlier and earlier. And it's, turn back like the normal signing day has turned into, okay, well, maybe this kid has some great issues and we want to wait for his fall semester grades to post to see if we can squeeze him in. Or let's see who transferred out and then try to add a couple late ads or get a guy in the transfer portal. I think that the combination of the early signing day and the transfer portal has what is what has really done it just because it's like, you know, you go through the fall semester, you see who who's leaving and then, or word on the street of who might leave in the spring, then you start talking, you know, you're focusing more on finding, you know, a JUCO guy, whatever. But even then the JUCO market has kind of dried up just because coaching and the level of play in the high school ranks has improved drastically. And so guys are more ready than ever to come in and play as freshmen. And so it's no longer like you don't, go to the JUCO ranks to get a guy who can come in and compete right away because you're just going to go get a high school player who's good, right? Like it's before, you know, you'd go, we'd go down to snow or go get, you know, a, or somewhere in Arizona, whatever, get a JC corner. But now you have Mike Harper, who's a three-star and you trust him to just go in and play, right? You just mm-hmm. trust freshmen to go and compete from day one. And that's the way the game has gone. Um, but there are, Guys, like, I mean, we talked about this on the board this week. Uh, Targi Lampson out of Tempview is a great player. He had a few Mountain West offers. Um, I'm not sure if there were some academic issues that he needs to button up, but he kind of sat and waited and hoped that he may have gotten a bigger offer because he was kind of looking at a maybe UNLV or Nevada type, you know, situation. And he's going to snow because that's, you know, where once the later signing day rolls around, some chances you may have had may be gone if you don't jump on them soon enough. And that's just kind of the, you know, it's just the difference in recruiting in 2021 versus even, you know, five years ago. Yeah, it's true. Stone Mulitalo is another uh, uh, defensive tackle out of Skyridge that we were kind of keeping our eye on that maybe BYU could get involved late. 
And uh, same thing. He's going to snow. He had a UNLV offer. He may have had a couple of other Mountain West offers. I think he had a Utah State offer that he passed on and elected to go to snow, which kind of makes me laugh a little bit. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's the gamble. A lot of people, and that's kind of the misconception about recruiting. Uh, BYU recruiting's hard, right? Because kids go on missions. Like we're going to talk about it later on in the show, but BYU signed 16 kids as all this class and 12 of them are going to go on missions right away. So of the kids that we've been covering, keeping track of for the last 18 months, four of them will be on the roster next year. So I understand why it's hard for BYU fans historically to get into BYU recruiting. Um, Having said that, it is still important, but there are a lot of nuances to the game uh, or to the recruiting game. Rather people made fun of Utah journalists or media or bloggers or whatever for the term non-committable offers. Now, did Utah media, you know, did, did the, the Utah coaching staff who feeds media info, did they overplay their hand and, and go for a, the quote unquote non-committable offer every time they lost a kid? Yes. Like that's what happened. But the term non-committable offer is very true. Like it's a very real thing. You might look at a player's offer list today and see 15 scholarship offers from schools all across the country. Well, in all likelihood, only two, maybe three of those scholarship offers are actually valid come signing day. And a lot of the times even less. And that's just kind of the way that it is. So yes, inherently that if I have 15 scholarship offers and I can only sign three national letters of intent, or, or how do I say that? That only three schools send me a national letter of intent for me to sign, then inherently 12 of those offers that I had are non-committable at that point, right? So that is a true term and it happens all the time. Um, and it's the balancing act that these kids have to play. And it feels like there are some, and it's, it's especially locally for some reason, I haven't figured out why, but it feels like the percentage of local kids who wait is higher than the percentage of kids in other states. I don't know if that's because Utah's still slow to the, like we're just starting to get noticed for being, you know, our, our high school talent is just starting to get noticed or if it's a cultural thing here in the state of Utah, I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, it feels like there's more of these situations every year in Utah where a kid will get some scholarship offers, but doesn't want to do anything until signing day, wants to have a hat ceremony on signing day and those spots dry up. That's the way that it works. Tennessee offers like 350 kids a year. They can only sign 25. They are offering 325 kids who, even if they wanted to come to Tennessee, they cannot go to Tennessee. It's stupid. And to some extent it is because of, you know, kind of like, I think the internet is a big part of it. So back to what I was saying about like coaches and the quality of coaching, you know, right. It's, I mean, you grew up, which high school, did you go to Bountiful high school? Clearfield. Clearfield. It's like, there was probably some guy who was the football coach at Clearfield forever. Right. Like in just, he was the football coach in town. You either had a good team or a bad team, but just you had the coach. And that was kind of like things were kind of in cruise control. And now it's like coaches are going to all these clinics. And if you had a coach who knew a college coach or could, you know, kind of get some tips from a college coach, that was a big deal back in the day. But now it's, you know, there's things online on YouTube. Guys are going to clinics all the time. There's like webinars and seminars and all these different things that these coaches are going to. And so the, like dissemination of knowledge and understanding of the game has cascaded drastically down from the professional and collegiate level into the high school level. And now, I mean, even most like peewee teams are running 
more complex systems and the understanding of the game is better in fifth grade for fifth graders than like most high schoolers were, you know, 20 years ago. And yeah, for sure. It's the same thing with recruiting. Like back then, like I remember when USC was at their peak under um, Pete Carroll, I remember that it was a really big deal when Dwayne Jarrett signed with USC because Dwayne Jarrett was, and John David Booty, because John David Booty was from Louisiana. John David Booty. And that's a name I haven't heard in a while. His nephew signed with a, uh, uh, what's his brother's name? Josh. Is he the one that played baseball I, too? I can't remember. I just remember John David. Yes. Josh Booty played. Uh, he actually made it to the majors before he played in at LSU. Um, but he, his nephew was general booty and he signed with the Juco today. Um, but so, but John David booty was like the number one quarterback and Dwayne Jarrett was the number one wide receiver. And they were from Louisiana and Jersey and then going to Utah or not going to Utah, going to USC to play in Southern California. And so they uh, you know, that was a big deal back then because, you know, cause it was like, Oh, USC isn't just getting, you know, the best players from the Trinity league anymore in Southern California coming from modern day and St. John Bosco, whatever they're getting the best guys from all across the country. And so with the internet and huddle, there are so many more guys where it's like, there are no diamonds in the rough anymore for the most part. Like, you know, you get the occasional guy, but it's for the most part, it's everyone is scouted. Players are going to these camps. They're putting their tape out everywhere. They're talking to coaches all the time. And so every, it went from, we found a kid. And so we know what we have to, like every three-star kid is replaceable. And it's, so if you, a lot of those non-committable offers, it's, it's probably most of the time it's going to be like, we'll send you an offer, but it is commit on the spot or you're gone. Like we will find somebody who will commit on the spot and take it. And who wants to be here because like, yes, we like, I mean, back to I'm trying to think of other freshmen who played this year, right? Like there's, you know, like it's, you talk about like Cody Epps or Micah Harper or some of the other freshmen that got playing time this year. It's like, those guys are good. They can play, but there's also a hundred other guys just like them who are just as good and can just as play. And maybe before the other guys would only have one offer from a Mac school because they played at a two way high school in Ohio, but now you're going to get found wherever you are. And so I think that has contributed largely to the kind of growth of this phenomenon of a non-committable offer is it's, what is committable on signing day versus when the offer was extended are two very different things. And then you do have those programs like Tennessee that offer literally everybody and their dog. Everybody. Arizona's becoming the Utah State, their new coaching staff, and because they have to, they're late to the game, but they've offered, I think, like 20, 30 local kids here in the, the last 48 hours. I mean, they're just handing out offers like candy. I mean, so it's, it's, it, it's a, I don't know, I, I get frustrated with it but it is what happens. I wish the NCAA would fix it. They won't do anything, but I wish they'd fix it. And I wish they'd say, Hey, look, if you're going to send out an offer, you have to send a letter of intent with it. And that would fix just about everything, right? Like you wouldn't get these offer flooding. You wouldn't have these kids that have unrealistic expectations because they got a Tennessee offer when they were a sophomore and then they never heard from Tennessee again. I think it would be better for the recruiting game. I think it would be better for the athlete. I think it would be easier for the schools to manage. Uh, it would suck more for the recruiting coordinators directly. 
but I think for everybody else, it would be better. Um, it would even the playing field a little bit as well. You wouldn't see as much, and this happens, um, you wouldn't see as much offer like piggybacking, you know, that the BYU fans always used to, used to accuse Utah. I don't think we do as much anymore, but used to accuse Utah of, Hey, BYU would offer a kid. And then within the next day or two, Utah would offer that kid. Well, look, here's the reality. Uh, did that happen? Is there such a thing as offer hop, uh, piggybacking? Absolutely. There is because if a kid can hack it at BYU and BYU is willing to offer a player that a school already knows that, Hey, the off the field stuff and the academic stuff is out of the way. We don't even really need to look at it. We can trust BYU. All they've got to do is evaluate film. They don't have to do any of that other stuff. They can, they can quickly make an assumption uh, for Utah. Anytime Morgan Scally offers a defensive back, expect Oregon and USC to quickly offer. They have figured out that, Hey, Utah gets legit defensive backs every year. And without fail, each class, Morgan Scally will go into Texas. He will offer somebody. And then all of a sudden, Oregon and USC will offer within a couple of days. And it's because of that same thing that offer piggybacking is very real. It's if a sign of respect. Had, it is. If the schools had to send a national letter of intent and that offer was committable from day one, it wouldn't, it wouldn't happen, right? It would or even everything. if it was committable from day one. I mean, it, not if necessarily they have to sign it right away, but they would um, – <clears throat> I know, but even just to keep it honest where it's like the coach has to, you know, have the conversation of, Hey, sorry. We're like, we know we said you were, we were going to take it, but we're not. Cause I think a lot of times that just doesn't happen. They just stop talking to you and the kid figures it out. Right. Like yeah, it's, that's a hundred percent what happens. And so and it's, it's frustrating, frustrating for the kid. And it's, it's something that's a problem. And it's one of many problems that the I don't know NCAA needs to fix or figure out. And it's, you know, there are I some, just, co- I look at a kid like Zadik Dinkelman. That's a name that we all know as BYU fans. Uh, yeah. uh, look, by the end of his high school career, the kid was not a Division One quarterback, period. Like, that's not a slight in him. Everybody listening to this show is probably not a Division One quarterback, unless Ryan Hancock listens. And I don't know if he does, but Ryan, you could be the exception to this statement. That yeah, how if do you we were listening, that maybe John Beck listens to us occasionally. That's true. There might be some. So or, if you were a Division One quarterback, uh, please don't take offense. In my generalized statement here, you are not a Division One quarterback if you are listening to this show. So this is in no way me trying to criticize Zadik Dinkelman, but the kid wasn't a Division One quarterback, and it was pretty clear. Uh, but he got offered as a ninth grader by LSU. And how unfair is that for him, right? Because he had these insane expectations on him throughout his high school career. And then what happened? US or LSU pay, uh, pulled his scholarship offer before his senior year. Just pulled it, point blank. People get all upset when kids decommit and they talk about loyalty and kids don't know what commitments are. Schools do it all the time, more than kids do. Like anytime you see a decommitment from USC, unless that kid is going to Alabama, that means that USC pulled the offer, right? Like kids don't decommit from USC. They just don't. They decommit from USC if they're going to Alabama, but if they decommit from USC and they end up in Minnesota, like Saya Mapakaitolo did this, this uh, today, I guess today, uh, Saya did not decommit from USC. USC decommitted from Saya. That happens all the time. And it's frustrating. It's just frustrating. I wish that, that that they would do something, they being the NCAA, to protect the players a little bit more. 
Um, you know, there are some players that, you know, they, they, maybe they're players of affluence. They have, um, you know, good resources. They have, you know, I, I look at all of those wide receivers that train with margin hooks, like margins, a really great resource for them to help them manage the recruiting game. But by way of creating all of this gray area and all of these things that really make it hard for kids to know what is going on. It's like the NCAA is inviting the issues that come up. They're inviting the shady bag men. They're inviting the, the recruiting agents that can't call themselves agents, but are hitching their wagon to these kids so that they can cash a paycheck one day. Like it's frustrating. And it feels like the NCAA encourages it by not creating some of these rules to help protect the high school athlete as they go through this process. I could go on and on about this all day long. It's one of the things that irritates me the most about college football. I feel like the NCAA has just failed recruits, colossally failed, colossally, did I just say that? I don't think that's a real word, but has failed in a major way to protect the high school athlete in the name of protecting the, the big, you know, the power five schools that, they want to offer everybody and they want to be able to do what they want. And it's frustrating. Hey, man, it is frustrating to watch. And as I was, I did notice uh, one thing about signing day and we have this down as the worst class in the country. And actually, I don't even know if it is the worst class. Let me take a look at the team rankings, but this was sent to me by Mike Polson, who is a longtime friend of mine and an avid listener of the show. And he sent this to me and was like, uh, Dude, how is this possible? And I was like, oh my gosh, you are right. So is it is it BYU's 2013 recruiting class? Oh gosh, no. It is worse than that. No. Okay. I just sent it to you in our Zoom chat link. Click okay. it and tell me what seems odd about this. Uh, they have one commit who and is a 10. In 10 transfers, one Juco commit, 10 transfers, ranked 184 in the country, Jake Spavadol and the Texas State Bobcats. How is this possible? You are, okay, so if you've ever looked at a map, San Marcos, Texas, where Texas State is, is halfway between San Antonio and Austin. Like, their stadium is about 45 minutes from Daryl K. Royal, and it's about 45 minutes from the Alamo Dome. Between... 45 minutes in either direction you have two metro areas with about two plus million people each there's like five million people within an hour and a half drive of that stadium with a lot of damn good high school football players and you cannot sign a single high school player and you get one juco kid from kansas and 10 transfers and that's it jake spavadol what are you doing uh i mean he tried I'm looking them up now. He offered 120 players. There's, I mean, this one, those may have been all committable. I know we we're talking about Tennessee and there are 350, <laughs> but I don't know about this one. I wonder, Spav's a different guy, right? Like he's willing, people remember Texas State? They were the ones who were willing to come out in the, the what was the weird formation that caught BYU off guard a little bit, but they had like tackles split out beyond the hashes on either side of the ball. Like Spavadol is a different guy. Like he's willing to think outside the box. I wonder, and I have no idea. This is the first time I'm seeing this. I wonder if he's looking at this and going, Hey, rather than take 
under recruited two two star guys who we're going to get over whatever FCS school is down the street. Maybe we can just fill out a recruiting class of transfers. I mean, I don't know what is going on, but it's like it's like he got Jeremiah Hawkins is a transfer out of Cal. Jeremiah Hawkins can ball. Right. It's going to Texas State. The transfers, especially with the free year coming in, that's most likely can get approved that all transfers will be immediately eligible. It's going to be like, I mean, they're going to get, they're going to be a better team because most of those 10 guys are going to be better in an immediate improvement. But I don't know if they're in like a weird scholarship crunch, but it is, that's weird, bizarre to see that class. Like, I've never seen it. It is. It's strange. Uh, five of their 10 transfers came from P5 schools. So obviously they're transfers now, so they're not like a P5 player. But if we pretend that those are kids who had P5 offers because they all went to P5 schools, I can promise you without looking at anything, I can promise you that uh, Texas State has never had a class where they've signed five kids with P5 offers. This is true. One of the kids that they signed, one of the transfers went from Utah State. And he went to from uh, yeah. a, JC, a JC to USU and then started a few games. Their one signee looks like Cam Newton, but the DN version, Deontay Washington. Oh, that yeah. dude he's looks a, mean. I want yeah. him on, on BYU's team. I don't know if he's good. He's not yeah. rated very good, but he, I want him because of, he's the kind of guy that you're intimidated of when he gets off the, off the bus. Yes, he out of high school, he had an offer from Air Force in Northern Colorado, but I don't care. I take him. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm in. But so it's just, I don't think there's, it's got to be the worst. Uh, it's got to be the worst. I've got to be the worst rated. Yeah. You have one signee and he's rated a 79. It's got to okay. be the worst. Look at this. I'm looking right now. The number one, or so, or sorry, the over, the number 85 in the 24 7 team rankings, which I guess in the team composite, they're 99 in 24 7's actual rankings. Prime time at Jackson State, dude. He, you've got, he got three, four stars. I love it. How long until? Down. How long until he's busted? I don't know. Well, it's I don't know that it's gonna make a difference or how long because I think those kids are gonna go down there and it's like, they did. I mean, the kids in this class, right? Like we we're talking about, they didn't get to take any visits. They didn't get to do anything. It's a weird class. Jackson state's going to have a few money games and they're going to go see the facility. So I don't know, maybe Deion Sanders will pay for nice like upgrades in like new locker room and stuff and then get it comparable, but they're going to go to other schools and be like, Oh, maybe I do want to be here. And it's, I think it's a lot harder. Like, you know, there was that one kid who was like a five-star who committed to Howard. uh, And but he was a basketball player and it's like yeah. as a basketball player. He's going to be a one and done. He's got to stay for And you can months. single-handedly like as right. if you are a five-star player going to a bad conference, like you can single-handedly, you know, get your team into the NCAA tournament, right? Like you drop, it, you drop Jimmer for debt onto a Sunbelt team. You're going to win the Sunbelt, win their conference tournament and end up being like a 13 seed and probably make in, you'll get to around a 32 just off of yeah. a single player. Yeah, I mean, look at what uh, Gordon Hayward did for Butler. Like Butler, who is Butler? And he came in and, and took him to the championship game. I, I've wondered, like, okay, how much of Dion's personal money is he dumping into this program? It's not like he's crazy rich. I mean, he's rich. He's got a net worth of $40 million. So he's certainly well off, but it's not like he's got, you know, he's not going to 
single-handedly rebuild the locker room by himself, right? And like put in an $8 million locker room like some of these schools do. Like yeah. he doesn't have that kind of money. So I don't know, man. I, I just, I, I think you're onto something that, yeah, they didn't get to take visits. And so it's cool when Deion Sanders calls you, but they're going to walk into that high school locker room at Jackson State. And I think maybe, maybe that's when they open their eyes a little bit. But either way, I love what he's doing. Um, I like what BYU did today. I don't love what BYU did. I wish that they had scholarship room to add a few more bodies. There was a guy who decommitted from Colorado, and this is one of those situations that you could probably read between the lines and say Colorado pulled his scholarship offer the night before National Signing Day yesterday. TJ Patu. I don't know if it's academic-related. I don't know what it is, but this dude, I wanted him at BYU so bad, but they don't have room. And I think BYU could have swooped in at the last minute after Colorado pulls the scholarship, they could have picked him up. And I think he starts at safety on day one, but BYU does not have the scholarships to make it happen. So uh, that's, that was, that's my really only big complaint about this class is that the previous classes had been mismanaged to the point that it really handcuffed the coaching staff this year. So they couldn't take many flyers. 16 total kids is all that they were able to sign this year. 2022 is going to be really similar. It's going to be another very small class where we're talking about the crunch for a long time. This crunch sucks, man. It really does. And it's something that's been going on for a long time. Cause right. Like it was Bronco left the cupboard very bare. Thanks to, I mean, we on our board, uh, Dan Dixon, um, who's just a reader on the board. He's not part of our staff, but is very invested. He's, in he's smarter recruiting. than most of us. Dude, he's smarter than all of us. And yeah. he's been track. he's got recruiting stuff, tracking stats and everything for everyone that BYU has signed back to like the mid nineties and tracks like if they went on a mission, if they were a member or not, like all these different things. And, you know, he tracked like, okay, there's 20, um, you know, he tracked like, Hey, how many guys are starters, whatever. And it was the 2013 class was just abysmal. And 2015 was also bad. And so when you look at that, it's like those coming in, it's 27, like the cupboard was bare and there were the scholarships were mismanaged. And a lot of that was a crunch was created by the mission age change. And they were starting to work through it. And then because the cupboard was bare, it was the fact that we did not really have a collegiate offensive coordinator in 2017 or a very good quarterback led to a very bad season. And then it went to rebound of, we got to get bodies in here to win now because our jobs are on the line. Right. And so then it's got punted down the road. So it's going to probably be small classes until maybe 23 or 24. Yeah. And that's just the reality. And it was, I said this in 2017 and people thought I was nuts. I'm going to say it again today. Okay, 2017, BYU goes four and nine. I don't know if Bronco goes four and nine. Like Bronco, I think, had proven that he could win with nothing, right? Like maybe BYU goes bowling. But I am here to say that with that same schedule playing at Hawaii and getting that extra game, BYU does not win more than six games, even with Bronco in 2017. Look no further than the quarterback situation. Okay, Tanner Mangum, I get it. All the eggs were in Tanner Mangum's basket, and he was the highly recruited guy. So this is not we're, – we're talking recruiting victories, and on paper, Tanner Mangum was a recruiting home run. Like, he looked like he was going to be great. He wasn't. It didn't pan out that way, but he looked like he was going to be great. 
behind Tanner Mangum, there was nobody. Nobody. Bo Hodge. Bo Hodge was barely a quarterback. And I think Bronco didn't didn't he switch positions under Bronco at first when he came in? Like he yeah. was he was nobody. Like he was not he was not anybody that anybody was going to count on to win games. That was QB2, man. Like that was he was the guy if Mangum got hurt, when Mangum got hurt. Joe Critchlow was added by the by the new coaching staff. Uh, I guess Bronco maybe keeps um Oh, now I'm, his, I'm, I'm losing his name out of Pineview High School. Oh, the heck is, Willstead. Yeah, Willstead. Uh, maybe Bronco keeps him in, and he had a big arm, but he ended up going to uh, SUU or Dixie and didn't do much in his high school career. I was really high on him. I thought he'd be great, but there was nobody. And that's just one position, but you could take apart that entire 2017 roster and look at just about every position, and that's what you were going to find. There were some really good players at the top, and there was nothing behind them. And I, my conspiracy theorist mind has, mind has always believed that the reason Bronco left in 2016 when he did to go to Virginia, it, it wasn't because of this, he likes to rebuild programs and Virginia was special because the dude tried to get his alma mater job at Oregon State. He interviewed with UCLA. Like he had tried to get jobs and he didn't get them. I think he settled for the Virginia job because he knew he needed to get out before 2017 and even 2016 without Taysom and Jamal that team doesn't look very good either no well and even like Nick Kurtz but even behind you think of you compare Tanner Mangum and obviously some of that was schemed just because Robert and I is a much much better college coach than Ty Debra was for sure and it was a very QB friendly system but you look at who Tanner Mangum had to throw to in 2015 versus like 2017 you're looking at the talent it's like okay 2017 you got squally canada running back who was a very serviceable fine running back and yep you know, that's totally fine but then you're looking at matt bushman just got home off a mission aleva hifo is a true sophomore he had like 10 catches the year before and, and mike has been si- playing corner right and micah simon was a defensive back who you know mm-hmm. who was who switched over talon shumway was very meh until he became like oh pretty good in 2019 and you had jonah trinaman who could run really fast but kind of dropped everything he touched half the time and so it was like you know it was the things of what to throw to compared to 2015 when you have uh mitch matthews devon blackman nick kurtz yep. taron hauk like colby mitchell jurgens right and then it's like okay all of those guys were much more proven and better i mean colby pearson got a shot to play in the NFL and he's like your fifth best fifth best receiver on that team. Yeah, it's true. Um, and the offensive know. line, right? Like the offensive line, BYU had to add uh, in Kalani's first year, they add Kian Norman and they add Andrew Whitey. And I love Andrew Whitey. You love Andrew Whitey. I liked Kian Norman a lot, but there is no reason on God's green earth that BYU should be in a situation that they have to rely on two FCS transfers to start an offensive line immediately because the cupboard is so bare. And so that is you're, you're spot on Garrett. That is why the scholarship crunch happened. BYU had to add bodies in mass to make 2018 better than 2017. And so they did. And I think they let it get away from them. It isn't 2018 isn't the only problem. 2020, last year's recruiting class, BYU has 31 players that were committed. 
31. That's a ton. They couldn't announce all of them because of the, the limits, the 25 initial scholarship limit. But 31 players are associated, committed to, signed to BYU out of that class last year. And while I like some of the lower-rated players in that class, there are not 31 players that I would have taken, at least as scholarship players. One of them uh, was announced today. Josh Larson, I think Josh Larson might develop into something. Uh, but Josh Larson had no other recruiting or no other scholarship offers, and he was asked to gray shirt. And now they're giving him a scholarship. That's great. Right? Wonderful. Good for Josh. Like I said, I, I like Josh. I've seen him play. He's new to the defensive end position. He's as strong as anybody on the team as soon as he gets on the team. He's got a ton of potential. BYU could have had him as a preferred walk-on. But instead, they give him a scholarship. They commit that scholarship early on, and now they couldn't sign somebody like uh, you know a TJ Potu, right? They right. couldn't sign somebody who fell through the cracks late because they they that scholarship capital was gone. And so I I just feel like I don't know. It feels like remember those Dave Rose basketball teams that those last few years of Dave Rose. It just felt like they didn't understand the value of a possession. There was always a lot of turnovers, but it was like this kind of nonchalant attitude about it, that if it was turnovers in the first half, it didn't really matter because they were going to run so fast and get so many extra possessions that eventually it would even out. And they just didn't value the ball. It kind of feels like the, the I don't know if it but it was back-to-back recruiting coordinators. So whether it was Kalani, recruiting coordinators, whatever, but with, with T.O. and Alema, I don't know that they understood the value of a scholarship that, yeah, you could take flyers and, and sure one, two, three, maybe four guys, a class, take a flyer. You can't do that on 10 guys because those scholarships are too valuable in the future. And it, it feels like uh, they have learned that hard lesson of how much is a scholarship worth? Like really, truly what is scholarship capital? And now they're paying the price. I, I think frankly, they would go back and they'd have to do the same thing again. Right, because if that coaching staff doesn't add an influx of talent and they repeat 2017, they're all looking for new jobs in 2018, anyways. So I think they'd do it again, but eventually you got to pay the price, and, and here we are. Like we're now paying that price, and it's going to be small recruiting classes. So I that's my big complaint about the class. As for the players that did sign, uh, we talked a lot about the 16 signees uh, in December. Uh, I want to talk about the 17 expected mid-year additions. Uh, there's a bunch of them. Some of them are already on, on campus. Some of them are still on missions. Some guys who stand out, Kate Albright is going to be a name that people remember. Uh, defensive end out of, he played in the Trinity League. I can't remember, San Marcos, I think. I think he played at San John Bosco. Um, now I got to look it up because I'm going to uh, be annoyed. San Juan Hills. San Juan Hills, yeah. Uh, so Kate Albright, he's going to be a really good, he's got to gain some weight. He had some concussion issues. So we got to make sure that he stays healthy, but the kid can play still on a mission. Uh, I really like Campbell Barrington, Clark Barrington burst onto the scene, right? Like he, he had a great year this year on the offensive line for BYU. When Clark was offered, he was a nobody out of Spokane, Washington, but it was like the offer was, Oh, we'll offer Clark because Campbell's the guy you want. Well, Clark has proven that he's, a damn good football player. And that's the guy you want. But Campbell is, is thought of to be the better of the two brothers. And if he's better than Clark was, or that Clark has been, then Campbell Barrington is going to be pushing for, for starting time this year on the offensive line. So I really like that offer. I, I like him joining the program soon. 
Michael Daly, we, we've talked a ton about John Henry Daly. Michael Daly had more sacks than John Henry Daly did. John Henry had 22 sacks his senior year. Michael Daly had 24. Like Michael Daly can play. He's not as big. He's not as tall. He's more of an outside linebacker than a true defensive end, but that dude can play and he's going to be really good. Uh, my other favorite addition of this class is Brooks Miley uh, out of Pineview High School in St. George, defensive tackle. He reminds me so much of Kyrus when Kyrus is at Granger. Kyrus, people don't remember this, but when Kyrus was at Granger, he wasn't Kyrus Tonga. I can't remember what his last name was then, uh, but he went by something else. He played a lot of tight end. He played, he was smaller than he was when he got home from his mission, and he could move really well. When I look at Brooks, I, I see a lot of similarities in those two. Uh, I see when I, when I look at Kyrus at Granger and I look at Brooks Miley's senior film, very, very similar. Brooks Miley has grown in a very similar way. I think he's 6'4", 295 after playing at about 250 as a senior in high school. So the dude has, is big. He's going to join the roster this summer. And if, as soon as he's able to shake off mission rust, he will compete for a spot in the two deep right away. It all comes down to how quickly he can get his legs underneath him. Yeah. I think we're also going to see guys that maybe you were expecting to, you know, that signed a little while ago. And part of that scholarship crunch is, Hey, you came back from a mission and sorry, we replaced you or you moved on, which is unfortunate. And that's kind of something that, I mean, it happens because there was turnover in the staff, right? So it's anytime you, there's staff turnover, you kind of expect that maybe some guys will get let go, but it's maybe the offers that were extended or guys just couldn't get their own house in order and couldn't go through the NCAA clearing house and they're not going to show up. And because of that, just, just go to class kids. Like it's, you almost have to try, like it takes an effort not to qualify to play collegiate athletics. Like you can be, what is it to get to the through the clearinghouse these days, especially this year where they removed the ACT requirement? It's purely GPA right now. And so I think, is it a 2-0, a 2-5? What is that, like a C average? I, yeah. And my gosh, like it's high school. If you're just taking your, like you don't got to take honors classes, AP classes. If you just take the class that is assigned with your grade, just show up. Just show up to class. And you're going to get through the clearinghouse. So it's frustrating. It's frustrating for me, like having academic issues once you're at BYU. Frustrating still, sure, but understandable. BYU's tough. And professors at BYU don't bend over backwards to make sure that football players stay eligible, like professors at, say, Alabama do. And so that's, I, but I, I, I still get frustrated, but I can understand somebody having academic issues once they get to BYU. That makes sense. Having academic issues out of high school, and being academically ineligible before you get there, that's, that's tough for me to swallow. And it's harder for me to understand maybe why BYU still goes after those players. Like if they're on the fringe to the point that they're not going to be able to go unless they are great, great players, right? Dan Lake had this situation and he had to pay his own way as an academic non-qualifier. So he, he couldn't play for that first year at BYU. Or he had to sit out of year, whatever he did. Unless they're that type of a player and they're on the fringe, caught them. Like, don't bother with it, period. Because you're then counting on these players and they're not going to show up. And they have already shown you that you can't count on them. 
And that's a harsh line to take, but unless they are bona fide difference makers that they are going to start compete for a spot in the two deep on day one, I just, why bother? I, it frustrates me every year. So there are a couple, we're not going to disparage these kids by name and drag them through the mud, but you know, if you guys put some thought into it, you'll be able to figure out who there are two or three names that are absent from this list that a lot of people were looking for. And from what I have been told, uh, they could still join the program, but there's academic work to do before the fall. And uh, there's probably a good chance they end up at snow or another school and maybe they kind of boomerang back and make it. And I think, I mean, I'm, I'm upset because I, I like the kids that are not going to be there. And it's, you know, it's guys that we were excited about when they signed, but it's, you know, next man up. And if you can't get your house in order, you will be replaced. And it's not like it's no one's going to wait around for you. And so you got to take care of your own business, especially when it's down to showing up to your high school English class at least three days a week. Garrett, I had the most delicious thing today. Did, was it, did you go get the dessert from Culver's? That I told you to? I did go to Culver's today, and yes, it was good. I'm showing you uh, a chocolate? chocolate peanut butter pie Oreo. Oh, This is a Nutter Butter, but an Oreo. So it's got a peanut butter cookie, peanut butter frosting, but it also has a little bit of, of chocolate frosting. I'm telling you, well, I have one left. So let's okay. examine this cookie here on the, on the camera. Is this, pop it open. so is it like a tag along or not a tag along? A, was it a dosi dough for, from Girl Scout cookies? Uh, similar, but better. I don't know if you could see this. Okay. So there's chocolate. Okay. So there's chocolate butter. and peanut butter in the cookie. Okay. And the cookie itself is a peanut butter cookie. Okay. It's got the same consistency as the Oreo cream that you know and love. Okay. It tastes like a nutter butter but it also kind of tastes like a Reese's. Like that's maybe what it is. It's like a Reese's that's crunchy like a cookie. It's unbelievable. Okay, well, I just added it to my grocery delivery that will be arriving at my house at roughly 8.30 tomorrow morning. So in less than 12 hours, I will tell you yes. how good these cookies are. Everybody, Oreo does some weird things and they've had some fails. Like they did a red velvet one that was atrocious. It was, was just the good. worst. Uh, they've done a cinnamon one, cinnamon bun one that's hard to say. That was very, very good. This is, I think, the best of the bunch. That's a bold statement. I'm I excited think it to is. try these. Um, I've had birthday cake ones before. Those were okay. This is better. Uh, this is the best that I have had. That's, I mean, how many even flavors? Okay. Have you had, oh, there's Brookie Oreos, like a brownie and cookie. Or um, I think ones. I've had those and I There's don't think they're as good. Chocolate I'm going to eat this. I, I have to mute my mic because I, I can't just sit there and hold this. Okay. Yeah. It was the last cookie in the bag. So you filibuster. Maybe maybe tell people to follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. When we you do. buy these Oreos, let us know. Yes, we have been more active on social media. Uh, Jeff's wife has taken over as our social media manager uh, posting on. She's telling me to do this in the background, like to okay. say, Hey, eat the cookie and tell people to tag us when they eat it. So okay. oh, yeah. she's so, managing while in real time, listen to our social media manager and tag us 
and post when you, if you go purchase these Oreos and maybe we'll send you something, who knows, but she has, uh, Jess is our social media manager. She has been posting dutifully on Instagram and it, it has been noticed. I mean, we saw that Lorenzo Fautea ordered some swag from our website and um, we have our Zach Wilson shirt available on the website and Zach's mom posted about it and she thought it was really awesome. So thank you, Lisa, for spreading the word that way. And so I think, you know, we have a lot of good things going on our website. And um, I got to I gotta cut you off because I got a rant. Okay. Rant about away. the website. Um, when we posted some of these shirts, uh, I can't remember. I know that I'm wearing the elk shirt right now uh, right. Uh, because we're, if you're a listener to the show, you know that we've been trying to get the nickname the elk to stick for Isaac Rex for a long time because he he's bigger than a deer. He's faster than a deer. He's an elk. He doesn't run like a deer. He runs like an elk. And when I posted that shirt on Twitter, somebody, so, so presumably somebody follows me, right? They took that tweet and put it on the cougar board and said, this is so bizarre. Now, here are, I have, I have many rants to rant. First, if you think it's weird, just tell me. Like, why, why take it off of the forum that I shared it and go take it to another forum to anonymously talk about me? I thought that was weird. That is weird. I, what is more weird than the shirt? Because I don't think the shirt is weird. I mean, well, I don't either. But if you think it is, that's fine. I am, I feel like I'm maybe a rare breed on the social media world. I'm happy to admit when I am wrong. And I do it very regularly that, hey, you know what? You're right. I am one of the few people who has changed their mind based off of something I saw on Twitter. So I understand that my ideas are a little bit out there sometimes. And a shirt with an elk on it, yeah, maybe that isn't your cup of tea when you think of BYU swag. So just tell me. I won't be offended. I do think it's weird that you go and do it somewhere else. I think that's very strange, but I won't be offended. So that's number one. Number two, on the thread on Cougar Board, somebody said, I can't remember who it was, or I, it doesn't matter. I, I, am I just skirting the name image likeness stuff? Well, I guess kind of, but welcome to the internet. Like that's how this works. Uh, right. I, I go own, to the, go to the bookstore. That's how it works. Like yeah. I think last year when they decided to sell the, if you went to the bookstore to buy a Nike BYU Jersey, you think they picked number one just because you think Oh, I think BYU is number one. They're my favorite school. Or was it because right. of Zach Wilson? It's because of yeah. Zach Wilson. Like yep. next year, it's probably going to be like 25 for Tyler Algiers, probably going to be the jersey that they sell. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's everywhere. And I own multiple Andy Reid shirts that are like just like his face and him wearing his big foggy mask. I have a shirt that's in route, that it's in the mail now of it's Andy Reid eating a cheeseburger, and it says, welcome to Andy's, home of the world-famous cheeseburger. You think Andy Reid is getting royalties on it? No, no, he's not. So am I skirting name image likeness by putting the number 83 on a shirt and having a big silhouette of an elk? Maybe. Maybe I am. But if I am, I'm just doing what everybody else does. So that, that was weird to me. But second, I saw somebody say, Am I paying Isaac Rex for this? Because it feels like this is garbage. This is BS that Isaac Rex isn't getting paid. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, Byron, if you're listening, we're going to sell you out. I got a text from Byron after we posted these shirts. 
And he said, bro, I love the shirts. I just ordered some. It, like I, that feels like a green light. Hey, you're good to go. Right. And then just for the, the betterment of the listener, we're also doing our part to help the team get better because Byron said, if we're going to have him be the elk, then he needs to get bigger, faster, stronger this off season to live up to that name. So now this elk shirt is not only a representative of what I think he already is, it's motivation for what he should become. Cause this is a big bull elk on this shirt. This is not just a, a spike only type tag, right? Where you're going to go and find a spike. This is a big mature elk and Byron is going to, he's kicking Isaac into gear so that he's bigger, faster, stronger. But if I'm getting, if I'm we're if we're getting these endorsements from QB one's mom and from Isaac Rex's dad and Lorenzo Fawate is buying his own gear guys. I feel like we're okay. I feel like everybody who would actually be involved by this and who would actually have a case to be upset is fine. So people on Cougar board, just chill, just chill. If you don't want to buy it, don't buy it. If you do, do, but just chill. Everybody just relax. You know, and it really, we've kind of gone away from what we started out. It's like, we are not designers. So when we no. started this, we're like, we're just going to do like statements on shirts. It'll kind of be a meme thing. And we sold a couple here and there, but not a ton. And then really, Jeff, I've been very impressed with your, uh, you know, with your Photoshopping abilities that have really grown over the last couple of weeks. And we've sold a good number of things and we adjusted the prices as we discussed on the show last week. So we are now breaking even on most of the orders and with a <laughs> little, have been a couple. there's a little bit, you know, above it. And even, well, my parents last night, they made placed an order and they used the, uh, we have our 10% off thing. You can still use the promo code Hellion or CFP Cabal. Either of those will get you 10% off. And they used that. And I did the math and we made like 42 cents on the order. Yeah, so I saw that. And I, I also did that math and we got rich. I know. This I'm... is all about just getting gear into your guys' hands and we're trying to make it fun. You know, I feel like I'm whining a little bit and I'm, I, I'm not whining. I'm trying not to whine. Maybe I am a little bit. Maybe I'm whining. Am I whining? You're not whining. I just want to say though that we've added a lot of crew necks and my favorite design, and this is our best selling design. It's just the very simple Brigham script with like the, the, the Brigham, the give him hell is in the top there. It's in the corner. You kind of see it, but then just with the Brigham cursive text, it's beautiful. And it's mine hasn't been delivered yet, but I'm very, very excited for them. I to got come. mine this week of that same sweatshirt. And I got to say, I mean, obviously we have a vested interest in the sales of these, of these shirts. I was very pleased with the quality of both the sweater and the print. Like we're selling cheap t-shirts. So if you guys are expecting this to be the pinnacle of quality, like they're fine quality, they're good quality, but they're not going to be these $50 t-shirts. That's just, that's not what we're doing. But I was very, very impressed with these crew neck sweatshirts. Like it was much better quality than I expected it to be. And I mean, this classic design, like this very classic design, we got it long sleeve. We got short sleeve. You put it embroidered on a hat. We got it embroidered on beanies. You got crew necks that you do have like a letterman jacket kind of looking thing. Yeah. No that was just for to spruce it up on the side, just give it yeah. something different. And it's, But if you want to spend 50 bucks on a letterman's jacket, this is one I would recommend. Yes. I mean, if I don't know the last time I wore anything that looked like a letterman's jacket, but there you go. No. And even right before the show, you put one up 
the, uh, did you even realize when you designed it or when I said it looked like a thank you bag, that's what kind of reminded you or was that the look you were going for? That, uh, no, I did not think thank you bag until you said something and then it clicked like, yes, but it just happened that the look I was going for happened to be the look of a thank you bag. And it's, that's great. So really we're just out here trying to spread the give them hell, bring them brand and really just trying to make give them hell. Like I know people said like go Cougs or whatever. I want get, give them hell to be the thing, right? Like it's yeah, me too. like Texas fans say hook them. USC fans say fight on Aggie fans, you know, Texas A&M fans say gig them up yeah. whatever, or sick them Baylor, whatever. It's like, I want the BYU thing to be give them hell. I do too. And I want the hashtag to be like that goes out with offers to be GEHB. That's what I want. I want it to be GEHB that I see when I see a high school recruit get a BYU offer. I want them to be, I'm super blessed and excited to announce that I have received my fourth offer from Bigham Young University, hashtag GEHB. And when this happens, do not that be that guy who replies to the recruit and says, oh, you have four offers from BYU. <laughs> I did it on purpose so that we could bring this up. Like, don't be that guy. Just no. like, if you are, you're not helping. Like, go do that. Like, if you're going to do that, make a fake profile pretending to be a fan of a rival school and go comment and do that to everybody that that school offers in an attempt to kind of drive them away and drive a wedge between the school, that school and the player, right? Yeah. Don't do that. If you're a BYU fan, do not do that to anyone who talks about an offer from BYU. I agree. I look, we get it. Just let it be, man. We're just telling people how to live on the internet, but really if everybody would just follow these simple steps of advice, I think everybody would be better off. I think the world would be a better place. Uh, Garrett, how are you doing mentally? Before we move subjects, uh, you also work in the financial space, and I know that it's PPP season for you, the same way it is for me. And I know where my mental status is right now. I'm curious where yours is. Today was a day. Like, it was, I'm running on fumes here, and it has been a long, long week. And I don't, for, I don't know if, Oh, I mean, most of our listeners probably are not getting PPP loans, um, but the SBA, well, they dropped PPP on us on a Friday. They said, we're doing another round of PPP. Application opens on Monday. So I was like, oh, well, great. And then on the 22nd, 23rd, something like that, they uh, came back and they changed all of the requirements that were needed on the application. So then we had to say, okay, well, now we got to go back and redo a bunch of this stuff and we have to nuke everything that was done. And then people were mad because they're like, I already filled out my application. Why are you asking me to fill it out again? And we're like, it's not our fault. It's the government. Sorry. Like we can't change it. Otherwise we would. And so it's PPP is, you know, it's been brutal, right? Like it's just, it's long and it's, I don't even have the brunt of it compared to like, you know, you compliance guys and doing a lot more of it. I'm just doing reporting, but it's stuff is constantly changing and it's constantly, you know, getting things. And we're working with, you know, I've been, we're working directly with the guy who was the head of the PPP, you know, worked and was like the head of the SBA and, you know, had a meeting with him last week and he kind of spoke 
to our company and kind of explained, talked about things and what's going on. And he's been like giving advice to our executives and whatever, cause he's no longer with the SBA, but it's, it, it's just brutal for everybody involved with banking dealing with that. It is tough. And, and in fairness to the government, which I don't really go out of my way to be fair to the government very often. They're not fair it's to us, be... so I'm not going to return that favor. <laughs> right. It is tough to roll out a you know multi-billion dollar, trillion dollar program in a weekend. I mean, really, failure on their part to give us two days notice. But I, I understand I expected the ups and downs. And I think by and large, people are getting their money. And so the program is effective. It, sometimes there's a few turns uh, that, that, that these small business owners don't want to take. But by and large, the program is effective for them. I just don't know that people recognize how manual this process is for the banks. Even when you automate like the transmission of data, like all of these loans go through an underwriting process, a manual verification process. We, the payments still have to be calculated and accounted. It's just been brutal. So maybe I'm a little whiny because I have not been to bed. I have not logged off of my computer to stop working before midnight, I don't know, 10 days, because it's just nonstop. And that's what it is. And I'm happy to do my part, happy that we can get money into the hands of business owners who need it desperately bad. I'm fortunate that I am in banking and that we have been an industry that has been okay uh, throughout this pandemic. But man, it's been a brutal week and a half. So maybe I'm a little whiny today, guys, and I'm sorry about it, but you know, deal with it. It's, yeah. And if you do need a PPP loan or help with your small business, come talk to us. We can put, get you, either of us can get you pointed in the right direction. I know for a lot of business owners, things really suck right now and it's not your fault. In most cases, there's nothing you personally can really do about it. Uh, but, you know, come talk to us. We are very, we are big believers of the American dream here at Give Them Help Brigham, and we mm -hmm. will do whatever we can to help you. Yeah, completely agree. Now, this is a BYU show, so we do still have BYU news to talk about. Uh, the Cougars are playing Gonzaga again on Monday. I don't get it. Like, why? I don't understand how, well, one, I feel like BYU needs to get money from the WCC because this is now twice that BYU has paid to travel, gone to California, and then had a game canceled the day of the game or the day before I, the game. After we sent everything down there, BYU TV is producing the game. And so it's like we're yeah, setting the trucks down there. Like that's, you know, like $100,000 that's wasted. And because the other schools can't get their act together and get well, their. Do we know? And I, I don't know this answer. So this is a genuine question. So San Diego, they postponed because of COVID issues. Is that a positive test? Like these players aren't following maybe protocols or protecting themselves enough? Or is it contact tracing BS that it's the state of California and the WCC who has put ridiculous requirements on contact tracing? Because this is like the fifth time that San Diego has had to shut down. Or, it's not. or at least postpone games. And so in my head, if these are positive tests, like shouldn't the whole team have been exposed and had it already? Because there's only 12 guys on the team. That's what I don't get either. But I mean, if it was the WCC, I feel like, you know, Portland, BYU, Gonzaga, it's would true. Be, they would have their own issues. If it was California, then all of the Big West, you know, four teams in the Pac-12, couple teams in the mountain west 
you know, they would all have their issues as well. A bunch of teams, a couple teams in the WAC, you know, they would have their own issues in terms of, you know, what they're doing and having games canceled. So, I mean, you look at San Diego state schedule, they're in the same County, they're in the same city, right? Like they're not having the same issues that USD is having. So I don't, I don't really know what it is. It's frustrating, man, but it does give BYU a chance to get that coveted quality loss against Gonzaga. Uh, They got to keep it close. They didn't keep it close last time. Be a good FHE experience. Yeah, it will be. BYU's got to keep it close. If they could upset Gonzaga, it would go huge for their, their resume. It would totally counteract any damage that the loss to Pepperdine, 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 that's how my grandpa used to say Pepperdine is Pepperdine. Uh, Pepperdine, Pepperdine loss that happened last week would totally be negated by a win over to Gonzaga. Um, but even with a good loss, keep it single digits. And that will help BYU's resume against a team like Gonzaga. So big game. There is a game in between. BYU plays Portland tomorrow. And their Saturday game was canceled, correct? So there might be yep. another game that gets shuffled around. I know Coach Pope wants to play. Uh, but as of as things stand right now, BYU will play Portland tomorrow, and they will play Gonzaga on Monday. Well, I don't so, get is What a ride. Why we didn't just play SDSU again. They had it. We were there. We had a... Let me look. Actually, I'm pretty sure they're they had were supposed to have a game and it was canceled last night. Um, what is this? Yeah, they oh, they were supposed to play today and then New Mexico. Um, they were supposed to play today and Friday in Lubbock against New Mexico because the state of New Mexico is still not allowing any athletic events. Um, so all of New Mexico's games are elsewhere. Um, is there really any difference, though, from New Mexico, from Albuquerque to Lubbock? When you go from Albuquerque to Lubbock, outside of the Chile Verde, the quality of the Chile Verde, do you notice a difference? Uh, I Albuquerque is better than Lubbock, I would think. Right. Well, um, yeah, maybe. I mean, there's... Maybe. I think uh, it's it's close. I mean, uh, Albuquerque is like twice as big as Lubbock, and you have... I mean, you got Hatch Chili's in New Mexico, so... That's I think that's it. Lubbock, you're right. Lubbock sucks. Remember, I mean, we're coming up on the anniversary. That was one of our first episodes. Do you remember this? Yeah. Where we, I think that was the Mac McClung when he committed to to Texas Tech. And we were like, dude, what are you doing? Lubbock Lubbock sucks. sucks. Yep. That was one of our first episodes. Yeah. So, oh, wait. Getting nostalgic thinking about how far we have come. We started as just uh we had no idea what we were doing we had never spoken to each other on the phone we had just texted and been on twitter and said let's start a podcast so we did and that was that first show and here we are now we're selling merchandise we're breaking news we're telling you all the goodness that give them hell bring all the goodness about byu and it's give them hell that is the vessel that is bringing this to everybody and it all started with a few texts and a couple of bored weeks where we were like, let's just do it. How we are here. I mean, dude, it's, I'm actually looking at the mountain West thing and I don't know. I don't, it's gotta be by County because Fresno state is playing their games at home. New Mexico is playing most of their games in Lubbock. Although next week, um, 
they are San Jose State and New Mexico are playing or, or are playing in St. George at Dixie's Arena. <laughs> They're playing see most of uh most of San Jose State's home games are being played at the Ability 360 Sports and Fitness Center, which is a big old gym with a bunch of basketball courts in Phoenix. And is this lot- done? I mean, are we done with this by football season? Dude, I hope so. I mean, at the rate the vaccines are going, who knows? But it's like, yeah, I I hope so because this is ridiculous that it's like these schools having to go over there. I don't get it because they have to, they're forcing them like they're getting tested before they play anyway. So, I mean, the stupidest thing to me is that they make all the coaches on the sideline. Everyone has to wear a mask and they got tested that morning. Like, come on, you know, everyone there's negative. You are testing everyone when you walk into the stadium and get them on the field, you are creating a bubble. That's not the, that's not the stupidest thing. The stupidest thing is that the chairs are spaced six feet apart on the bench after these players are setting screens and getting sweaty and high-fiving each other and breathing each other's spit, then they have to go and sit six feet apart when they need to get a breather. That's the stupidest thing. That is also very true and very, very stupid. Like, I don't know, man. It just, the whole thing, I am, I'm probably more, we're getting into a we're getting into a space that we we try our best not to get into. I feel I feel myself devolving this conversation into a little bit more Uh-oh. politics than I want it to be. But I, I'm probably a little less of a true libertarian than you are, right? I'm probably I lean a little bit more liberal than you do, and that's not to say that I'm liberal. I I'm a registered independent, and I probably lean conservative on most issues, but I think I'm a little bit more liberal than you are. Mm. Um, I feel like we're probably about the same. Okay. Well, there we go. And either way, I'm all on board with this pandemic and and getting it under control and masks. And I have been for the whole time. And I, I, my only issue with it all is the hypocrisy from just areas, right? Like, and it's not even the hypocrisy in the sense of, Okay, you know, governor of wherever says do this and then they go and do something else, which is happening everywhere. But it's the just like the like the inconsistency in policy, like the bench. Well, we got to be socially distant on the bench, but go and slap hands and, you know, box each other out. It's the uh, I, I do this. I went to we're I'm building a house and. At the design studio, as I was designing my house, I had to wear a mask the whole time, which great. I'm happy to do it. I went and got a drink out of the fridge that they offered me, and I no longer had to wear a mask because I was drinking. So as long as I had the drink, the mask, nobody cared. But if I set the drink down and forgot to put my mask back up, you couldn't go 60 seconds without somebody saying, excuse me, sir, can you put that mask back on? And so it's like, well, wait a minute. Shouldn't I have to also do it while I'm drinking? Like, what's the difference? There is no difference, right? Uh, If I'm on an airplane, I have to wear a mask. But if I get the peanuts handed to me, I can eat my peanuts and not wear my mask for that 10 minutes that I'm eating the bag of peanuts. So I, I get annoyed with the inconsistencies in the application of all of these rules. 
And I'm just ready for that. That more than anything, I'm ready to be done. It's, I'm ready to just, we're going to be all normal again. Just give me a rhyme and give me a reason and I'll be down with it. I may not agree with it, but if I could, you know, if you say, if I can say, okay, I follow you. I understand how you got to that conclusion. Like makes sense. I may disagree on a couple of fundamental things, whatever, but like, sounds like a, a plan. At least there is a plan. We're yeah. good. Yep. Anyway, it's very confusing. Um, I do just real quickly. I had a conversation with Dominique McKenzie again tonight. Uh, a 2022 recruit. He is one of the two twins. His brother, Marcus, is also recruit, being recruited, has an offer from BYU. Brian McKenzie's sons. And I just feel like I need to bring up Dominic McKenzie again. One, he's one of the fastest players in the state. Um, he was like fifth in the country in receiving yards this year. Like he's the heck of a football player. But this is one of the nicest kids that I have ever covered in recruiting. Uh, just it is a genuine pleasure getting to know him a little bit. He's fun. He's just I, 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 the reason I bring it up is because he is exactly the type of player that BYU needs to have. Period. He is the player that you sell out to get this type of player. He's a legacy guy and all of that, but he is being recruited the the schools that have offered him so far um he's got BYU and Utah State and I think there's another like big FBS school I can't remember but then like Dartmouth Yale you know the Ivy Leagues Princeton the other schools that he thinks are close to offering him Northwestern Stanford right I mean just the upper echelon of education so the guy is brilliant he's a very smart high school student he is going on a mission, represents the church extremely well. He was excited to tell me about his little brother's baptism that's coming up this weekend. Um, so he's a representative in that sense. He's a minority, right? He's Brian McKenzie's son. Like he is the guy that BYU needs more of those because he's a heck of a football player, but he is a heck of an everything else, right? A student, a person, a representative of the church. And the more that I get to know Dominique McKenzie and presumably his brother, I've only talked to his brother once or twice, but presumably his brother as well. I, man, they are rapidly climbing up the charts of must get recruit in 2022. And mm -hmm. one thing, while I bring that up, uh, I bring it up. This is why I'm bringing it up. Every year, we, we've even joked about it on the show in the past that we say, you know, why? Why is it the church members, we, we don't, we as a, a collective membership of the church, for some reason, we're not producing athletes, right? We're producing linemen, quarterbacks, and tight ends. Yes. Well, this year, Dominic McKenzie is going to be one of the fastest players in the country. He's LDS. Marcus McKenzie is faster than Dominic. He's LDS. Aaron Jones has a number of offers for Mountain West schools, played at Pleasant Grove this last year, is back at Oregon uh, at his home, in his hometown now, plays running back, plays linebacker, plays safety. He can do everything. He's LDS. All three of those players are mission guys, and all three of those players should be priorities. You know, If they're not in the top five, then, then we got problems. These are guys that BYU – needs to get absolute must gets so here we are on signing day 2021 i am putting those three as must gets for 2022 
I mean, I think so. And I, it's hopefully, I mean, in theory, as the church grows, we should start to have more of those in our recruiting base. So hopefully this is turning the corner. It's or true. And well, to... you look at like Gunner, like Gunner's a pretty, uh, he's one heck of an athlete. Chase Roberts is a heck of an athlete. Uh, so there are more athletes that are joining the program um, as missionaries, which is just not something that we've seen. Brader DeMooney is one heck of an athlete. So there are more athletes that are coming, but for so long, it just feels like, man, all of the really good LDS players are linemen or linebackers or tight ends. But hopefully yeah. this is the start of maybe there's some, there's some speed and some athleticism in these uh, Deacons quorums right now that will one day pay off for BYU. If you know of a very athletic Deacon that you've seen shooting hoops in the gym after mutual, send, let, let's see that film. Get it yeah. on tape and let's make it happen. We're ready. Man, I'm in a weird spot. <laughs> I'm just it, going off on whatever. It is. It has been a good episode. It has been a fun episode. And I think, you know, next week, hopefully we'll have a few more shirts up, a few more things to talk about. We'll get some news. And I think if you look at, you know, you go back and look at the film of those guys that were announced today as being, you know, the true 2021 class of guys that are going to be joining the program this summer. There's a lot of dudes to be excited about. And the team is going to be deeper and better and overall more athletic than they were before and it's going to be fun and i'm excited yeah and that's really all that there is to say it is going to be there are a lot of players in this class that are coming in and uh byu is i think ranked at the bottom in sp plus in returning production i think that bill uh tweeted that out this week and they are dead last in returning production well yeah of course right dex milne and zach wilson were most of the offensive production like the yards right yeah and so it makes sense and normally when you would see that you'd freak out a little bit but with the dudes that are joining the program and the guys who are coming back i don't want to say byu is going to go out and win 10 games that's not what i'm saying but i think byu is in a much better position than what the numbers are going to say they have much more talent than they than it appears that they do. Much more proven talent than it appears that they do on paper. Yeah, and it's it really comes down to quarterback play. And anytime if you lose a starting quarterback who was remotely good, you're going to be towards the bottom of that because you know in that and you lose your number one receiver, that's taking out like 95, you know, 70, 80 percent of your production right there. Right. So I'm not shocked that BYU is at where they are at, um, but I am confident in the future. Confident in the elk. He's going to take a big step forward. Tyler Algier was named by Pro Football Focus today as the ninth best returning running back in the country. Uh, I mean, this is a team that has a lot of pieces. I had a conversation. Now that he's not here, I think I can say this. I had a conversation with Coach Mateo shortly after the season was over. And, or maybe it was even before the bowl game. And he said that next year won't have as much star power on the offensive line, meaning Brady Christensen was gone. But he thought that the group collectively would be better in 2020, what are we, in 2021 than they were in 2020. Now, obviously, who knows if we're ever going to have a, a, a see a, an offensive line coach actually get hired. 
and there's some scheme change and coaching. There's a lot of question marks, but that was the endorsement from coach Mateos is that 2021 was set up to be better. I don't know that I buy into that myself, but that was what he thought was, was, was like the potential for that was there. That's a good thing. Uh, This team could be very good next year. And there's really only so much that a single lineman can do, right? Because it is a collective group of five guys. And so, yes, obviously Brady Christian is an NFL talent. It made sense for him to leave, but when he did, but there's still four other guys coming back. And if those four collectively take a step forward, it will more than make up for the loss of Brady Christensen. I mean, even just having a healthy James Empey is yeah. going to basically mitigate the loss of, of Brady Christensen. James Empey played in like what, six games this year? It was games? like half. Yeah. I mean, he was hurt. And even some of those games that he did play, he clearly wasn't a hundred percent. So a healthy James Empey basically mitigates the loss of Brady Christensen. Obviously they're different positions, but just from a, a production standpoint of individuals, I mean, you're now at the same level with the healthy James Empey. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, like I say, I don't know that I, I 100% subscribe to that belief, and I do think that there's some depth issues at offensive line, but this this team could be very, very good. I'm ready to go on record. I am just sort of ranting. Like, you could tell I haven't slept in in, in days. I, I think I'm ready to go on record, Garrett, and say that the defensive line will be the strength of the defense next year. And am I ready to say this? I think I'm ready to say this. They will be the best position group. I'm not ready to say that. They will be in the top two position groups on the team next year. Defensive line? Defensive line. You know, adding Tyler Batty's healthy. Saleti Fevelaki gets back into it. You know, Lorenzo Fawatea is back. We add in John Michael, or not John Michael, um, uh, Michael Daly, not John Michael, John Henry. He's going on a mission. <laughs> Michael Daly. And Isamahe is back. Isamahe is back. And then we get Kate Albright in there. There's some dudes who we're going to finally have a pass us next year. And Uriah, Uriah coming back was huge. Anoka Miguel is big time. I'm ready to say that the defensive line, top two position groups, them and the, I, I'm not as high on the running backs as, as I think the fan base is right now. I'm high on the running backs, especially Algier, but I think out after Algier and Katoa, it's a bunch of people coming off of injuries that while very talented, you never know how they're going to come back. So I'm not ready to, to me, it's the wide receivers and the defensive line. Those are my two position groups. And I am, I'm including tight ends with wide receivers, pass catchers, the pass catchers and the defensive line are the two groups who will be the strength of the team next year. That's a bold statement. And I think I'm right there with you. And with that, we will say goodbye to our dear listeners until next week. Until then, Jeff, give them hell. Give them hell.